0: What's going on, everybody? Welcome into Casta Podcasts. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts and the iTunes App Store, and if you're watching on YouTube, welcome into the channel. Ronnie Moore here with my man Kyle Jesse. We're gonna break down the Elite Series event at the Sabine River. We're gonna talk about something a little new in this episode as well, called Mercury Drain the Lake. I know a lot of people tune in for fantasy fishing, wise and Rappel of Bassmaster fantasy fishing. That is still a thing, but now we have added an- another game to the platform so that you can have two games for the price of one, which was free. So we're excited to bring that to you. So Kyle, welcome in. I appreciate you joining me again. I love doing this weekly now with you. Basically, we got to do one for a week for recap in the event and one for the next week preview in the event. And uh, I'm excited to talk about the Sabine. What a crazy week of long run, low weights, stingy fishery, and just a lot of drama unfolding in the Sabine.
1: No doubt. Um, you know, I think most people would look at a tournament like that just purely based on the results, the weights, and would think, man, that tournament had to just been brutally boring to watch. But I was just sitting there watching, you know, and thinking to myself that this is so interesting because nobody's out of it. I mean, there's obviously big fish in the Sabine. So like that last day, I mean, it seemed like Jason Christie was running away with it the whole time. But the reality of it was there was... You know, almost the entire top 10 was one bite away from uh, winning the tournament, which is just crazy.
0: And that's what everybody always wants. You want to have a tournament where any guy in the top 10 could catch one above average fish and be right there with a shot to win. And we thought that, you know, we we thought some of those guys who had eight hours to fish right there in orange would maximize their time. Hey, and to be honest, I'm very surprised that Brock Mosley came back successfully three times from Houston and then Jason Christie made it back four times from way up North successfully uh, with no other issues, no running out of gas, no cutting it close and being late or, or hitting something on the way or, or whatever it is, weather is a big factor. And we saw that unfold. The guys who were fishing in cow Bayou and, and the Natchez river, they had that 30 to 40 minute run for the most, for the most part. And even Taylor's down there, and then we saw the hour and a half to two plus hour run for those guys that went really far away. That's a lot of time to give up. And Kyle, I'll armchair, armchair quarterback with you, but I don't really like making that long of a run. I don't know if that's my M.O. I, I, I feel like I like to stay a little closer at times. And if I do go farther away, I like a couple spots on my way back that if I want to get back a little bit or it's not working, I work a little closer to the ramp. And then I always have an area near the ramp that, that I feel confident in. Um, But to go and put your eggs in a basket, 120 miles away, that's just hard to conceive.
1: I'll I'll say this much. I was thinking about it actually this morning is, is if, if I was in that situation, for me in practice, there's a good chance I would have never even gave myself the opportunity to think that's what I was going to do. I would, have, I would have just maximized my time, um, you know, close, really just tried to find something maybe a little bit different. I mean, obviously fishing around crowds is just kind of something not just you have to do, but you typically do in, at the Sabine River. But um, yeah, it's just, I'm kind of the same way. It'd be hard for me to, to be able to do that because just the, you know, the thought of something going wrong. Uh, is enough to drive me to not want to make those runs. But kudos to those guys. I mean, honestly, like you said, for for that to be as successful as it was, I mean, that's clearly what set, uh, you know, obviously Jason Christie and Brock Mosley apart for at least three days.
0: Well, and that's the thing. I'm sitting here thinking and I say that I would fish more conservatively or get in those areas and whatnot. But then I also do some crazy stuff running up some creeks and stuff, places I should not put my bass boat. And I do. So I, I don't know. I, I'm talking myself out of it right now. I'm kind of like Brock Mosley. Do I make the run or do I not? And you end up talking yourself into it or out of it. But I do think that I would have really had a, a fun event there at the Sabine if I was an angler. Because the way I like to approach events, I like to look at them on Google Earth. Even a, a regular Lake Wachita or Lake Hamilton. Places that you really can't run up and get too far off the map because it's so residential or built up. Or it's, it's a standard lake that's kind of trapped in. With bayous and other places that can flood, backwater ponds, you can find some gyms on Google Earth and you can find some dead water on Google Earth as well and explore places that don't have bass. So I normally use Google Earth heavily in my map study. And so I feel like I would have been at home looking for areas, uh, you know, on the Sabine River. But enough of, enough of my armchair quarterbacking because, to be honest, that's why I'm a commentator, and that's why I do not fish professionally is because I, I have not made it to the top level. But Kyle, when it comes to fantasy fishing, it was dire straits. Uh, we've seen this two events in a row now. I love him. He may watch this. He may not. He may not care. But Greg Hackney is one of the best anglers in the Elite Series. But I feel like we need to broach the subject. Yes, this season is made for him. It's a great shallow water season for Greg Hackney to do very well. But man, we're getting to the point where he's two for four, not only on cuts made but he has been the highest chosen angler in the top bucket every single event this season. And two of them, he has not made day three. And that has opened the door for other guys. Like you picked Brock Mosley. It's opened the door for, for Brock. And I feel like now our fans or, or fantasy fishing players are just picking him off nostalgia. And to be honest, I think they're being a little more disrespectful than they come off as because they are picking him thinking he is overwhelmingly better than the rest of the elite field, which may not be the case. A lot of these anglers may not be known, but Greg Hickney hasn't came in and set the world on fire on on crushing the competition. He's had two top tens, and he's had two missed cuts. So he's still right there, great AOI position because his missed cuts haven't been bad. But basically what I'm getting at is they thought it was going to be a cakewalk seven top tens for Hackney in a year out of nine events, and he's going to just dominate. And, and it's it's still bass fishing. It's still tough. It's still a crapshoot sometimes. And so that's kind of the best indicator that how the season's gone. He's two for four on cuts and two top tens in there. It's, it's kind of in dire straits.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm right there with you. I mean, the natural – the easy thing to do is you look at an event, and especially the way this season lines up more than really most seasons, you look at it and you say – you know, who's going to do well in this tournament. Greg Hackney is such a versatile angler and he's proven himself. And I actually watched a video today where he talked about, somebody had mentioned like, oh, this tournament really sets up well for you. And his response was, I feel like they all set up well for me. Like he's, you know, he's been doing this for so long. He's been so successful at it. Like where does Greg Hackney feel like he's not, you know, comfortable? Like probably nowhere. So, I mean, it's an easy thing to do is to pick Greg Hackney. But like you said, I mean, the reality of it is, um, every time I look at the fantasy fishing uh, percentages, I'm just blown away by how underpicked and undervalued some of these guys are being. Uh, hence the reason, like you said, I, I, I was, um, you know, huge on Brock Mosley in this event, just the amount of, um, you know, momentum that he had leading up to the event, a place that he'd done well and was only picked at the time at like four, four percent or so, which, you know, like I said, is just crazy.
0: I am, I'm 100% shocked that Jason Christie is only 8% on fantasy fishing for Lake Fork coming up because we have that recency bias if someone wins an event or does well they're on a streak they're going to win the next one when that might not be the case and so 8% shallow Lake Fork I'm surprised he's at 8% but Looking at the Sabine and whatnot, I I mentioned Hackney. I don't want this to get off on a tangent on Greg Hackney because I love Greg. I think he's a fantastic angler. How dare
1: you guys pick Greg Hackney?
0: I'm picking on Greg Hackney. No, but uh, Such, I know what that's like. If Such picks on Greg Hackney and messes with him, he's going to get obliterated. So I don't want that because I'm just the fantasy guy over here. But the fantasy
1: man is what I, he called you. I, I think the fantasy man.
0: It, it needed to be, it needs to be said. I think that there are a lot of great picks in these buckets, but you tend to go with someone that you just know a little bit more. You just feel a little more comfortable with him instead of exploring and, and risking it or taking a gamble, or just to be honest, learning about these new anglers. There are a lot of really skilled anglers that are just 1% every single week. And so for the Sabine, we don't normally pick, High percentage guys, we normally stay away from the percentages uh, when it comes to that. Like, I always try to choose somebody less than six percent because six is probably a relatively solid number, but it's not overly picked. And it really depends on the bucket. I had two anglers at the Sabine, thirteen percent and nineteen percent, but everyone else was under four and a half percent. And so I think that there's a balance there. And if you're just tuning in and want to know. Well, why do they keep talking about the percentages? What does it matter? If they're a good angler, they're a good angler. But the strategy of fantasy fishing, and Kyle, you could touch on this a little bit as well, but when, when you pick an angler that, let's just say it's their home body of water and they're picked by 50% of people, and you pick someone who's picked by five, 5 people, when they match up, if my guy at 5% beats the home favorite by five spots, you just beat half of the fantasy fishing world by however many points that is. And that is huge. I dropped each day of the event uh, because of, uh, of guys catching the big bass of the day and getting bonus points, and they were so low picked that they jumped ahead of my guy in that bucket as being the best pick. So, honestly, percentages are very important. I think one of my best picks has to be Matt Heron at Sabini it was .25%. .25% got 39th in bucket A. Yes, there were guys who got higher in bucket eight year pick Brock Mosley did. He got second. You can't, and he had the biggest bag of the tournament. You cannot understate how important that was picking that guy. Uh, but you just have to go and think about the techniques at the lake who's in the bucket. And if their style fits up with it and the percentages don't always indicate if they're a favorite or not, they could be underrated and still be a favorite.
1: No doubt. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's uh that's something that I, you and I have talked about for really for years now, but You know, it's not to say you should never pick the high percentage guys. And that's what I've, you know, I've told other people as well is uh, there's ultimately no huge problem with picking a high percentage guy. Uh, But yeah, the reality of it is if you look at, especially like a bucket A, where you've got a big list of guys who are more than capable of catching them, either they're, you know, guys we're used to seeing in bucket A, they're just on a hot streak. I mean, they're at this point in the year, this is something you've touched on. I mean, these guys have built up some momentum. I mean, it's not like they just had one good event or two good events. Like, to be in bucket A, you've had to string together a handful of good events. So the reality of it is if somebody's picked at 47%, there's a really good chance. I mean, I'll I'll take those odds every day that somebody else in bucket A is going to finish higher than that person. Um, You know, and sometimes it's just so overwhelming that that person, the high percentage person, is just the favorite. But, yeah, you pick him here and there. But, I mean, you know, like you said, there's just – a lot of opportunity to make up ground uh, in fantasy fishing by choosing some of the uh, underdogs. Now I'm not saying, you know, go out of your way to pick somebody at 0.1% every single time, exactly. but I mean, I, I think that strategy is something that, uh, that can, that can play in. And, you know, I think that a lot of people don't really think about.
0: I think you see a lot of more bucket C bucket D and bucket E anglers uh, <laughs> jump into the top 10 or top 20 early in the season because they can have one bad event and drop to a terrible bucket. And then they, they can reveal how they're actually going to fish this year. Whereas now that we're four events into the season going into our fifth elite events next, this next week, it's more, Hey, if you're bucket a B and C you've probably strung together at least two or three of the four events very well. If you're bucket a, you've probably strung four events together or your three, three good ones were great ones. Uh, like Brock Mosley, eighty, I think he had, or uh, no, that was Caleb Sumrall. Caleb Summerall's eighty something at the St. Johns, and then three top twenties the the next couple events. So it's it's really that balance. And uh, the perfect fantasy team was not selected at Bean. And before we talk about that, I kind of got off the topic. We were talking about fishing, and then I jumped into fantasy fishing. But the Sabine River, I I love those events. I love those really low weight events because. They're so unique. Uh, they don't happen that often. We always try to go to great lakes at great times of the year, weight-wise, and, and they normally yield themselves 70, 80, 90-pound events. But like just like we had the St. John's last year, that was only three days and it was tough and it was 15 pounds a day or we have a Winyah Bay. I love those events because every single fish matters. And if you catch a four-pounder, it is, a, it is like having six or seven fish to your limit. And so I wanted to touch on this. 43 pounds, 15 ounces was the winning weight. And that is the second lowest four-day total. And I say four-day because there have been some 40s and 50-pound weights for three-day events. Weather, weather canceled a day out of those. Like we had the St. John's last year. We had Wheeler a couple of years ago. We had Dardanelle back in the you know 2009, 2010 range. range. But forty-three fifteen for for Christie was the second lowest winning weight of any Elite Series event ever, and the lowest weight came back in two thousand and nine, uh, I believe, or two thousand eight at the Mississippi River out of Fort Madison, Iowa. Kevin Short won with forty-three three. So, and the gap had been kind of kind of distant. Forty-three three was the lowest, and forty-seven fourteen was the second lowest at the Delaware river back in 2044. So you've got a four pound and change gap between the lowest and the second lowest. And now it's only 12 ounces or so from the lowest to the second lowest. So we always, I love a grinder mixed in there. So what are your thoughts on that? Because I I mentioned it day one on the event on live, I said, Hey, we've had three events here at the Sabine. They're, they're all three in the bottom seven for the lowest weights in history of bass events take that as a positive, take that as a negative, however you want, but that's just the fact that it is. Uh, And then I forgot about it because Mosley had 15-10. After two days, Hackney had like 29 pounds. I was like, they're going to blow past 43, no problem. And then it just went all kinds of crazy day three and four.
1: Yeah, the two guys that, you know, really distanced distanced themselves on uh, days one and two, obviously those bites just really, really – took a huge yield obviously it was tough for Brock Mosley the third day when he ran over to Houston uh Jason Christie's area of course was was more or less blown out as we saw so I mean that made it really tough for him so yeah it was like you you took two guys that looked like they were going to shatter that you know the the previous weight and uh it got brutally tough on those guys so I mean that's you know once again kind of like we touched on earlier um that kind of opened the door for the guys that were more consistent each day maybe that didn't have the 15 pounds, but, you know, had the eight to 11 pounds a day or 12 pounds a day. And, uh, you know, I don't know that last day. I really, really, truly thought somebody was going to, you know, take the opportunity and run with it. And, you know, now looking at it, hindsight's 2020, but I mean, even a Brock Mosley, that last day, if he catches a big one on a frog late in the day, he wins pretty handily. I mean, not even, you know, not like handily, but like for the Sabina river, he could win by, Two three pounds. Um and it was one bite away.
0: Yeah, yeah. No doubt. A one and a quarter for a two and a quarter, you just gained seven points, you know, and for full field days and whatnot. But it's so eerie how they had basically four exact days of fishing for the lead for the two lead guys. Uh Christie had 15-1 when Mosley had 15-10. And then on day two, Mosley had 12 and three quarters, and Uh, Christie had 13 and three quarters or something like that. And then day three, they both struggled. And I think they had like six and six pounds a piece. And then the final day, Christie had eight pounds, four ounces, and Mosley had seven 13. So they had four very similar days and it ended up being a one pound, six ounce win for Christie, which is pretty tight to be honest, no matter how tight our elite series events are, very rarely is it pound and a half from the leader to second. Normally it's two, two and a half, three pounds, because they end up catching one late in the day that just kind of makes them scoot away, or they have a really giant one that is under (laughs) underestimated on bass track. So it's a tight, it was a tight, tight uh, battle. And with that being a tight battle, I thought maybe the weight was going to go down for the cut on day two. And it went up, it was seven, two, Uh, On day one for 49th place, and ended up going to 1410. So not only did it double, it went up six ounces after you doubled it. So I was very impressed with that. And the limits, you know, 75% of the the field roughly caught a limit every day of competition. And we saw that six-pounder win big bass like it does every time here. If you catch one that's six-plus pounds, you most likely can take that to the bank that you're going to win big bass and take that check home and get those bonus points for fantasy fishing. Now, calling the shot on who's going to do it, very difficult. Mark Frazier, never been to the Sabine River, and uh, comes away with a 6'6", big bass. So what are your thoughts on some of those low weights and the cuts and, and just how every ounce counted? I think, I think my boy, our boy, Jake Whitaker, told me on day three when he started the morning, he said, I'm 32nd and I'm only 10 ounces ahead of 49th. So there were 17 anglers within 10 ounces going into day three's cut.
1: Incredible. That is nuts. Um, you know, and, and, and this was my exact thoughts watching the final day, um, and it, it's hard to get everybody to view it like this, but, you know, I know you'll know what I mean when I say this because you obviously sit there and watch every single second of live intently, but um, that last day just had such a weird feel to it. You know, it just felt like even though Christy wasn't just crushing him, it just felt like he was just kind of taking it away. And it was it was just such an odd feeling to me because that was the vibe that's kind of the way everybody was talking. But I'm just sitting here thinking like like we talked about. It. I mean, Brock Mosley's one fish away from having, having the lead easily and not even a big one. I mean, just a, a good, like you said, two and a half, two pounder and literally could have, you know, taken the lead. And that's a, that's a crazy thought. And, you know, I really thought it was going to happen. Um, and, and let's be honest, if you would have told Jason Christie, like how that day was going to go, I bet he probably would have figured somebody would have caught him. Cause that's just the way it works a lot of times. And it was just, it was just had me on the edge of my seat. I mean, that's like you said, it adds an, uh, an entertainment value that you can't get really from, um, you know, one of those tournaments where Patrick Walters catches a hundred and, some odd pounds and the next guy closest to him is, you know, I mean, I don't even know what to do. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't even close. Like that's the thing that I love the most about the Sabine river. I mean, and then, like you said, you factor in the fact or the uh, you know, the fact that these guys are making huge runs. um, There's so much strategy to it. You know, I mean, I was kind of thinking about it in my head and I I hate to to dog on one of your lakes, but if you take like a, a Lake Norman tournament or like a tournament where there's, smaller fish like smaller weights overall um it's entertaining in its own right but like a lot of the guys are doing the same things like there's not like a huge storyline to follow as we're like the top 10 like if you just looked at the map i mean like obviously mosley uh the last day didn't run but i mean you're talking about hundreds and hundreds of miles separating these guys where they're fishing i mean it seems like they're not even fishing the same fisheries um so i mean like i said it just added an entertainment factor that uh That you can't get from a lot of tournaments, which, you know, is a big reason why I love it.
0: Yeah, and I think that that final day touching on that, uh, everyone had a shot, but it didn't seem like anyone really threatened Christy. When everyone kind of had a slow morning that morning, I immediately texted you and said, if I'm Brock Mosley and I'm still within a pound of the lead, like he had a terrible day over there, but the water was high, it was different in Houston, and he said, I'm not going back. If you're within a pound, his day was terrible too. Christie's was. So my thought was that Brock wanted to stay close, maximize his time because he thought his area was going to die out. And he figured, hey, if I had eight hours, I could probably catch a little bit more than Christie does because his area's probably dried up. But, man, it's so hard to guarantee you're going to get an eight, nine, ten-pound bag there in orange and be able to – that's what you need. But I feel like – you can go catch 10 over in Houston so much easier and you'll do it much quicker. You'll know. Um, and so that's hindsight, who knows? But I, I immediately thought that was like, it wasn't like he dropped back and he was just, Hey, Oh, well, I'm going to just save some money and not go all the way over there. But I was shocked with that. And it also hurts that the second place was only a pound behind and third was about three pounds behind and fourth was four pounds and then fifth was you know it kept going forever it was like a pound per spot and so and then it got from uh I think it was five pounds one ounce was first to fifth and then from fifth to tenth was one and a half pounds so everyone was basically an entire Sabine River limit behind Jason Christie one day's worth of limits behind Jason Christie and we saw that on the final day we had I'm pulling up my phone right here we had 613 limit, 77, 713, 77, 811, 712, and 713 for all the nearest pursuers. And the only guys who caught good bags were Taku Ito and Drew Cook. They had 1014 and 111, but they came from sixth and 10th trying to come back from five pounds down, six pounds down, and pass Christie. And they had good weight, but they just came up short. Their day, Their day one, two, and three hurt them overall. And so for Mosley to have that shot, I felt like he had to do it. I felt like he had to do it. And the reason I say that is every single time we've had the Sabine and someone's gone to Houston, weather has hurt them. We've either had two-hour fog delay and they had shorter time over there or weather and it took them three hours to get back. Something affected their game plan. But I feel like nothing affected uh, Mosley's game plan except for that higher water on day three, which it had receded out going into day four. So it was going to be normal on day four. No wind. I totally thought if Mosley needed to get that win, you got to go risk it. You can't play it safe if you want to go past Jason Christie because you know he's not going to lay up.
1: And yeah, and I remember texting you that morning um, on Championship Sunday asking what the vibe was like, you know, between the people in studio, whether or not he should have ran. Um, And at that moment, neither of us really knew what was going to happen. And that's the reality of it in know, tournament fishing hindsight's always 2020. If you knew what was going to happen, you'd just do, you know, the right thing, but you never know. So, so, I was kind of the same way though. It seemed like his best shot to win was to go over there. And like I said, I'm not, I'm not criticizing Brock and what, you know, whatsoever, because I mean, he was able to stay in orange and catch a limit, you know, get some bites and you know do basically what he thought he could. Um, But yeah, the reality of it is like, it seemed like you at least know the quality of fish are over there. I mean, you've caught them two of the three days. Um, Also another thing that like you think you'd factor in as well as the fact that if you were going to stay near orange and fish for those fish,
0: Those fish have been pounded on. I mean, they'd be, you know, maybe, maybe for thirty minutes after day two or three, did he come back and fish around there? But otherwise, you're fishing, you're banking your championship Sunday on thirty minutes to an hour of fishing random stuff during the final or the during when you're coming to check in. And the last time you really fished there was maybe Wednesday, like the final day of practice. It it had been so far ago, you know, four days ago. Last time he was really maybe thinking about Orange.
1: Yeah, it would be interesting to get his thoughts, too. I mean, it, there's there's a chance that, you know, he could view it right this second and still think, you know, his best bet. Um, and, and the reality of it is a lot, you know, that's a feel thing. Obviously, if he just felt like it wasn't right and felt like that wasn't the, the thing to do, I mean, you know, you can't discredit a guy for doing that at all, like whatsoever, especially, a, uh, you know, a guy like Brock Mosley. But, but yeah, you look at it now and it seems like, you know, the odds of him being able to scrap up what he needed over there seems higher, just everything considered. I mean, there was, what, five guys fishing, you know, in that general orange area on the last day? I mean, it's not like he had the run to himself. And then, um, you know, in the last little bit, I don't know exactly the area that he ran to, but he definitely fished somewhere else. Um, and, you know, got a few bites on the frog and, you know, whatever. But like you said, was basically banking the last day off of instinct, you know, just fishing what's in front of you. And sometimes it, it, this the Sabine, that's what you have to do, but when you've basically led or been in second for, you know, three days in a row in, or or in Houston. Yeah, definitely. Uh, looking back, it makes it seem like that, that might've been the uh, the thing to do.
0: Well, and there were, there were 11 bags, excluding Christie and excru- excluding Mosley. There were 11 bags over 10 pounds from the third, third to 10th, that made the final day. So eight guys totaled up 11 bags over 10 pounds. And between those two, they had four. So it's like, what are your odds of catching 10 pounds? What do you think you need to win? Do you think you need eight pounds to win? Do you think you need 10 pounds to win? If you need 10 pounds to win the percentage chance and ratio of going over to an area by yourself uh, for for ten pounds is much greater in Houston, but there's a lot more risk. So, moving off that topic, hey, you crushed! You crushed fantasy fishing. Everybody, give a round of applause for Kyle Jesse crushing the Sabine River and Bassmaster fantasy fishing. The standard version—that's what we have to call it now. Rappel of Bassmaster fantasy fishing, the OG version. And uh, for I'm going to just go ahead and give you my place. I only had 957 points. I overestimated the winning weight by 10 pounds, and <laughs> <It happens. laughs> I put 53 for that one, and then, I, um, and then I dropped 1.2%, and I'm at 86.9%, so not too bad. I'm right behind you now, because I had passed you after uh, Pickwick, and then you just got to pass me back up after we were tied after two events, so congratulations the floor is yours kyle jesse fantasy savant <laughs> so
1: i had uh 1206 points uh, the thing the thing i was i was most proud of and this is the first term in all year is the fact that all five of my picks made the cut um you can feel really confident going into the third day if all your guys are making the cut i mean you're at least going to be like in pretty decent shape um i also was high on the tiebreaker i had 50 pounds and 10 ounces um, definitely a little high on that, but I actually jumped up into the nineties as far as percentage wise, which I'm home, baby. We're back. I haven't been in the nineties since 2019.
0: I don't think so- <laughs> it shows, it shows, I am, I am 3.1% away from being in the nineties and I am, uh, I'm 110 people between you and I, 110 people is only 3% in fantasy fishing. So you've definitely got to uh, you got to do some good work to make up some gap because I'm still right there in the fantasy pundits. Yeah. Lift, lift. I'm third out of six. 957 is not bad, and that's one thing my season so far. I've been 11, uh, 1107, 989, 950, and 957. So my floor isn't too low but my ceiling could be so much more high. And, and that's because I had four guys make the cut, but no one finished uh, in fantasy fishing or in the in the event, no one finished better than, I want to say, 20th. Let me see where Cobb finished. 15th. So Brandon Cobb finished 15th. Um, Clark Winlet, 30th. Matt Heron, 39th. Drew Bitton zeroed on the day three and, had, and he finished 49th, the last cut spot. And then I had Jay Yellis really handicapped my team a little bit. Sorry, Jay. I'm not going to say you're handicapped, uh, but you handicapped my team. He, had, <laughs> he was 95th after day one. And he moved all the way up to 76th and gained me points. But one fish for one pound, two ounces, crushing my fantasy team. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I'll, do you want me to revisit re, uh, my picks? Yeah, just re- you can revisit your picks and tell me. I know we, I know we got Mosley in second place and yeah. bag of the event, so you got forty additional points there. He was most likely the best angler to choose in fantasy fishing, I believe.
1: Yeah, so that was that was something. I he was three hundred and forty points. That is correct. Um, so
0: I, I was really happy with that pick. I want to interrupt you real quick. It's sure. two ninety five for him getting second, five for him leading day one. And forty for him with the big bag of the tournament. Biggest bag, yeah. So,
1: yeah, which is crazy because you would think obviously Jason Christie would have the most fantasy points of anybody, but he actually had three hundred and five. Fifteen, I think. Fifteen, yeah. I'm sorry, 315.
0: three hundred fifteen. So, five bonus points. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right, right. Three hundred plus fifteen. Correct.
1: What am I talking about? Um, but I was I was really happy with the Mosley pick. Um, went with with a. Uh, <laughs> With some history, there's Chloe Barkin for some reason. Uh, went with some history with uh, John Cruz um, to do well, and he did. Uh, finished the event twenty eighth. I also went with Brandon Cobb. That was a pick we both agreed on. I think that was a uh, the place set up super well for him fifteenth. So we were we were both on board on that one. Um, your boy Jake was gonna. You know, he finished the event where he started in day one after day one. He moved up on day two, back down to 41st, so still made the cut. And then uh, Justin Atkins uh, finished in 33rd, so uh, kind of went with that theory of uh, you know you can't keep a uh, can't keep him down too much longer, and he yeah. came back made a cut, so uh, good for Justin and and yeah, it worked out pretty well. I'm I'm happy with it. I just don't want to get too overconfident because uh, no, I, I I gotta hype say him up, hype him up. Yeah. It's like that uh that all too popular video. I got my swagger back. We're back, baby.
0: Yeah, I got my swagger back, baby. Um talking about where we are in fantasy fishing in my Beat Ronnie Moore group. I am, which I don't know if you can see that. Let me see. There we go. 667. 667th out of 2317. So I am just Dead nuts, top 25% of that group, but I'm beating 75% there. I've got some hammers in my group, and uh, R. Gray, I wanted to give them a shout-out. Third overall and first in beat Ronnie Moore, he has had a pretty good season, obviously. And at the Sabine, he picked Brock, Stetson, Watley, Winlett, and Sullivan. So he had a second With the big bass, the best pick, Brock Mosley, 44th, 35th, 30th, and 13th. So great picks by uh, R. Gray leading the charge there. It takes 4,674 points to be third overall. So that doesn't make me feel too good that I'm at 4,000 points. And (laughs) there's 600 points ahead of me through four events. Oh, I need to get some points back. But we're starting fresh. A clean slate. And it's a clean slate because it's called a brand-new fantasy fishing mode. We still have the OG Rappel of Bassmaster Fantasy Fishing. That's not going anywhere. Picking five anglers, one per bucket based on the way they are performing in the Angler of the Year standings. But the new game, and I'm going to just go drum roll please, and I'm going to have Kyle Jesse explain it to me since he is the fantasy fishing uh, commissioner of the world. It is called yeah. Mercury Drain the Lake, and why is it different?
1: Oh, basically you take there the print you had oh, just mentioned oh, 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 with the five got, buckets and gotta, you throw it out the window.
0: We got we got, to, we got, to start that over. You froze up right when you started and it was so anticlimactic. Here we go. Rappel of Bassmaster Fantasy Fishing Commissioner and newly crowned Commissioner of Mercury Drain the Lake. Kyle, how's it different?
1: So basically you take your, your five buckets like you have in natural fishing and you just throw them out the window. So what you've got, and, th- and it's a little different this year, because obviously we're starting kind of in the middle of the season. Um, But basically you have the entire field of anglers for, for the tournament. You're the the first tournament, So you pick eight anglers. The point system is still the same. The anglers should be based on points, the exact same as they are in fancy fishing, but you pick eight anglers per tournament. After you've picked those anglers, each and every one of those anglers, you can't pick them anymore in the rest of the season. So basically the easiest example to use and this is something you guys used on live. This is something we've talked about in the office. Best way to put it is you know, you have to, there's a lot of strategy involved because you don't want to pick somebody for a tournament that you want to save, right? So, like the Johnston brothers, you know, this is overstated already, but the Johnston brothers, the Polonics, the fighters, all these smallmouth guys, you don't want to burn them necessarily in these earlier tournaments if you can, because you know those guys are going to factor up north. Um, kind of the same way. Uh, the opposite way I won't say angler specifically because I don't want to dog on anybody but there's a lot of guys that are much better at the southern largemouth fisheries not so good at the the you know northern smallmouth fishing so those are the kind of guys in the next two three tournaments you're definitely going to want to utilize um, and you know like Ronnie said the biggest thing you know we've seen a lot of questions about this so far is is like he said it's it's just an add-on to fantasy fishing um, it's not necessarily to, it's not taking over the old style, it's just a new style. Um, you know, the saying always goes, If one is good, two is better. So, we've got two different uh formats to play now, and we're looking forward to it.
0: That's good, that's good. And uh, like it, so it, I, I equated it on Bassmaster Live as the NFL Eliminator Challenge, where right. you select a team, it's the New England Patriots when they had Tom Brady, you always picked them when they played the Jets because that was a for sure win, and you wanted to try to stack a win every week. But once you pick the Patriots, you can't pick them again. So if you don't do it smartly at the end of the year, you're picking the Cleveland Browns trying to beat (laughs) the Pittsburgh Steelers to say, and you can't, you're not going to win that. So uh, now maybe in 2021, you can win that, but not in the past when the Eliminator Challenge happened. So once you pick the eight anglers, you can't use those eight anymore. And that also includes the Bassmaster Classic. So it'll be different because there are anglers that aren't in the elite series field that are now available to be chosen. And you've also got to think, Oh, maybe I want to save so-and-so who's doing well this year for the classic, but they might not be in the, uh, they might not be in the classic because of last year's qualification. So there's a little bit of strategy to it. And I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to pull my board out. If you got your team ready, I'm going to pull my team out. Here's my drain the lake team, my eight spots, I hope the audio is working well. My phone's low on percentage, but we're, we're working on it. Okay, so that sounds much better. Mercury drain the lake. My eight anglers that I'm going to pick this week for Lake Fork that I won't be able to use going forward. Now, I'm not going to worry as much about percentage in this one. The selected percentage, I'm not. There's eight anglers. You're bound to pick a high percentage guy, but if you want him for that given lake, go ahead and pick him because you're not going to be able to use him again. So there's no point in trying to save him. Or I don't want to pick him four events in a row and fantasy and look like a homer. So you pick him here and there. This one, you use them when you need them, use them and abuse them. And then you can't touch them again. So for my team, I'm going Lee Lipsy Lake Fork. You got to go. with him. And there's not another Lake on the schedule. No offense Lee, that I really feel like is compelled to pick him. Neely Henry, Gunnersville. He's not in the classic at Ray Roberts, uh, Saint Lawrence or Champlain. It's fork all day, every day for this one. So I'm picking Livesey there. I am picking. Um, I just realized I don't have one of the anglers that I might want on here. Actually, I think I'm going to save it. I'm going to say I think this is my team. This is my team. I've got David Mullins. I think that he is a. Uh, he's had a slump this year, kind of a real tough season after finishing second in AOI. I think that I think he's going to get it some big fish mojo back here. People might save him for Gunnersville ledge fishing. That may not be the deal. I was there a couple of weeks ago, and there is so much eel grass that it may be tremendously hard to fish normal ledge. Now it, it, it probably only grows on the bars. It doesn't grow out as far, but I think it still is. I think it still is prevalent out there too. So we'll see about that. So I'm going to use Mullins right now, and I'm not going to save him for Champlain, even though he almost won that event last year. I'm going with Jake Whitaker. I'm actually going to pick Jake in this event because I think that the shallow, spawning-type nature that Fork's going to be at, or if they're not spawning, throwing that popping frog around, I feel like Whitaker could be a good pick. Uh, and Jake that- throws a frog? Jake throws a frog sometimes, yes. you never not ever catch sure. him on a frog, but he throws a frog. So my fourth pick, I'm going with John Cox. John Cox is on uh, my top side over here. I think uh, I think this is going to be one that that could really factor for him. Now I'm going to pay attention and ensure that he is fishing this event. I believe there's another event at the same time. I'll have to check the schedule. But with John Cox, I'm just going to be I'm going to be completely transparent. You can't trust him any this season for anything because he may not be fishing your event. You can't take it for granted he's fishing a bunch of tournaments. So just be on the lookout on social, see where he's headed, where he's going. And, uh, and we'll try to confirm it closer to the event. But so if I do change my team, it'll only be that spot because I'm not going to keep him on there. Cause I did it in a YouTube video when he's not fishing the event. So I'm going to, there's four of my eight. Now I want you to give me a couple. Okay.
1: So I'll kind of go with the same strategy you've got here. So I, I also picked Lee Livesey. It's like you said, I, I think, I'd say what? Oh, yeah, you have to. Yeah, there's no there's no doubt. So it's it's something that. When I was picking my team, I think this is a thought process that should go through. Everybody said um, is if you, if you think you're going to pick a guy, pause, think about the rest of the season and make sure there's not like a shining star on the schedule that you're like, ah, that sets up so well for him. So with that being said, like you said, it's not that you don't want to pick your stars and your, your guys that you, you know, you think you're going to catch them, but you just, you gotta be thinking ahead. That's what makes this game so interesting. So I did go with Lee Livesey. Um, Like I, like you said, I think you said it, you know, spot on. There's not an event on the schedule that's (laughs) so better for him. Uh, I'm going to say the same thing for Keith Combs. Now Keith Combs is tricky in the sense that I had the opportunity to talk to him at the first event of the season about this tournament specifically. And he was, he was very outspoken that he wishes it was later. And that's, that's a, a obvious thing because uh, you know, when those fish get out off the bank and some of those places where you can catch them cranking, obviously that's where he's going to be in his comfort zone. Not that he can't fish shallow, but you know, that's what he'd prefer. Let's be honest.
0: And with the Texas weather this winter being, tremendously cold setting it back a little the spawn isn't necessarily delayed but a lot more fish have been held back and now that uh god has kind of said it's warm outside pollen's falling dogwoods are blooming it's time to go up shallow they a lot more i feel like congregated whereas normally in texas you got a cold day you got two warm days you got two cold days you got a warm day and they're kind of some moving up here and there I feel like a lot more were like sitting at the gates and you pulled the gate back and they all went up there. And so it, it might be similar to 2019, but I feel like that offshore deal, if anyone's going to find him, Combs, he was the one I was checking. Sure. I looked at my board and I was like, I don't have Keith Combs. And I was like, ah, there's a reason. I'm going to be sneaky. I'm going to put him later in the season. and And, and Combs, fair enough. And to be honest, he has not done very well this year. Not been, not, not done very well. Surprisingly.
1: Which you know, I think uh, law of average says he's not gonna do bad all season. I'd yeah. say this would be a great tournament for him to uh, come out of the slump, and in, well, I wouldn't even say slump, but like you said, hasn't hasn't performed to his standards. Um, but something, go ahead. But something uh, that I've been thinking a lot about, and I could I could point out four or five anglers that could do this, and he's definitely one of them. If there's anybody that could find a little sneaky spot where they, you know, some of those fish that have just spawned, just come to, let's be honest. Keith Combs is that guy. So, I mean, you know, having so much success um, on fork, once again, it's just one of those tournaments. I feel like you had to use them. And that's just my opinion. Obviously, you didn't feel the same way. So, fair enough. Um, with that being said, that's two guys. Um, I got a Stetson Blaylock in there. So for the exact reason. So once that's, you see Benton, Arkansas, on his, on, his, uh, on his name, a lot of people don't realize how much time he spends on Fork. Um, it's a short trip down I-30 to make it to Fork. And I know in the past, you know, I don't know when he started going to Fork, but let's be honest, he spent a lot of time down there. Uh, used to do guided trips on Fork here and there. Um, also has had a history of success there. Um, and, and it, a lot of these things are fairly well-known. Yeah. Um, a lot of these things are well-known, but you know, for some, maybe they're not, uh, Stetson Blaylock, I think, regardless, I think he would be one of those guys that will be able to factor in, yeah, factor in two things. One, he's a great spawning fisherman, you know, sight fisherman fishing for fish on beds. And then two, he's one of those other guys that I was mentioning that I think could have, you know, some sneaky spots, where some of those fish pulling off of beds would come to first. Um, It's really, really hard for me to envision him not doing well. And because I said that he probably won't,
0: Um, but (laughs) nonetheless, we would have an Island out in Bora Bora and we'd be chilling right now.
1: Exactly. So those are three of my eight picks. Um, So the fourth one I will give you is I actually just switched this out while we we're on this call. I had Michael Frazier, and I decided I'm going to save him because obviously over the last few years, he's become such a good smallmouth fisherman and a good ledge fisherman. I think there's a lot of tournaments coming up that Michael Fraser could be used. Uh, with that being said, I switched it for Derek Hudnall. Uh, Derek Hudnall had a good finish here in 2019, which by far is the, the easiest event to compare this to. there's definitely differences obviously that was the first weekend in may this will be smack dab in the middle of april i think they'll fish differently but at the same point um i think that Derek hudnall catches them in this tournament uh also a guy that can catch them, you know on beds really well um something that i remember talking to him about via skype uh in 2019 when he was fishing there is i asked him how this compares to like a toledo Bend, and we talked off and on about how this lake sets up like that um there's plenty of differences about a hundred thousand acres of difference but um or, or but i mean like the way they fish is very similar and i think that Derek hudnell uh you know be a huge factor there i think like i said between spawning fish and fishman shallow in general i think i think he's gonna have another good event there Fork.
0: so i'll say our four out loud again I got Lee Livesey, David Mullins, Jake Whitaker, and John Cox are my first four that are uh, listed out.
1: that's Stetson-Boylock, Keith Combs, Lee Livesey, and Derek Hudnall.
0: Okay. Now moving on to my last four for the group. I'm going to put it over here this time. I've actually gone with O'Hackney. I have not selected him in actual Rapala Bassmaster Fantasy Fishing this year, but I'm picking him for uh, this one. I feel like he has missed the boat just a little bit. At the last two events, Pickwick was a little crazy weather-wise, and then the Sabine. But I feel like if he's gonna just keep that flipping yeah. in his hand, this is gonna be a good event to do it in. Um, my second of my my next batch, Hunter Shryock. I think Hunter Shryock's gonna be a good pick. He loves sight fishing, loves throwing braid, top water. I feel like he could be a good one for this one. And honestly, like you look, like we said, you gotta consider the rest of the season. Hackney's gonna catch him other places. You just gotta end up. Not being heartbroken about that, you got to be okay with selecting him now and burning him the rest of the year. I don't have to use him at the classic, he's not going to be at Ray Roberts. Do you want him at Neely Henry, maybe Gunnersville, St. Lawrence, Champlain? I don't know, but I think Fork is going to be one. I, I'm going to go ahead and say it right now, Ronnie's guarantees how he's going to catch a 10 pounder. So I'm going to say, that. I think, I think when he catches that 10 pounder after his last two
1: events, he's going to give him the business. Oh, that ten pounder is going to regret biting his hook. He's going to
0: yell, "Stand down!" <laughs> so I got Hackney and Shryock, and then my last two, I've got Mark Menendez and Chad Morgan Taylor. So when it comes to selecting those guys, there there may be maybe a Keith Combs, maybe maybe another Texan, Ray Hanselman, maybe Stetson Blaylock. There's some other guys I kind of volleyballed around there, but. I feel like you have to also use some underrated guys a little bit so you don't just burn eight guys outright. And at the end of the year, you the eight guys you have left, which this isn't the normal season. This is half the year. So you'll probably have about 50 of the 98 left, but um, you just don't want to run out of guys that you think could do well elsewhere. So I saved a couple. I looked down that list of the bucket and I said, Champlain, Champlain, neely neely gville st lawrence as i went by guys like exactly consider, consider them yep. and then i was kind of the ones i hadn't said anything about i picked out two guys and i think morgan taylor and i think that menendez are two guys that you wouldn't think about lake fork but i feel like they'll they'll do just fine there with the shallow nature of where the the stage the fish will be in
1: i like those picks i like it. Um... And, you know, just to, to hit on what you were talking about, that's why I just love about this game is just the strategy. Because, like, and this is not a knock at anybody else, but I feel like there'll be so many people go down this first tournament and just Hackney Christie, uh, Paul <laughs> fighter. I mean, like, oh, yeah.
0: all I the, the, all the favorites right now. I'm yeah. picking them.
1: And then like you said, by the last tournament, you're like, man, I have used up all of like my like big (laughs) hitters. All
0: my (laughs) don't own spinning rods. What am I going to do?
1: All your cleanup hitters have already been used. (laughs) Um, So with that being said, um, sticking with the same theme that we talked about with Hudnall, um, I I went with uh, Daryl Gleason at Fork. Um, One thing is I I couldn't imagine Gleason doesn't have, you know, quite a bit of history on Fork, but that being said, Uh, he's definitely the Toledo Ben hammer. Um, You know, I don't know if he, does he still guide out there? I mean, I know he has for a long time. I don't know if he's still actively guiding. I know he fishes a lot of tournaments as it is, but uh, you know, I think it'll set up well for him. Now, with that being said, a lot of people, myself included, a lot of times you think of him as being an offshore structure kind of fisherman um, something we saw him do last year in the opens uh, where he threatened to kiss Ronnie on the lips if he won. And uh, you know, (laughs) and uh you know somebody that's really go through electronics obviously fishing toledo bend being so good out there that's something you have to do but once again i think that there's some similarities there um you know and if you've spent that much time on toledo bend you've obviously fished it a lot in the springtime um i have really nothing to prove this by but just having talked to him at Palaka, and you know some of the things he was doing there for bedfish um it, it just Keep me in that. I, I feel like he's a good bed fisherman. Like I said, nothing to prove that by in terms of like elite series success or anything of that nature. I think he'll find something to catch. I really I'm do. Add de- what
0: I, you want to add, but I'm gonna decipher this for everybody. Kyle Jesse saw Daryl Gleason post like a nine pounder he caught off bed the other week on Instagram, now he is a bed fishing savant. And Kyle's taking it home to the bank.
1: <laughs> That's not it at all. I did see that video. Yeah. <laughs> There's no doubt.
0: um i i I don't know i just i really think i got i got daryl on a list but not a list here i got a list later that you wouldn't think about but i think about it and that's i i probably mess up because i probably think i already think highly of myself i'm going to just be i'm going to just be completely honest (laughs) i feel like i know these anglers better than anybody else uh our age at least maybe a mark zona a davy height but Davey doesn't know as much about anglers as you'd think, or, you know, he was too busy worried about beating them than worried about what they were good at. And so I I feel like I know a whole lot about the new guys. And so I can be a little boisterous with some of my picks and then sneak some sneaky ones in there waiting to save them. I get beat every year in fantasy fishing. So that's, that's okay. I'm not the best at the game. But I still feel like what my input and thought on these anglers are, I think it still rings true. It's just day-to-day in practice. You just don't know what they find. Maybe they just had sure. a bad week.
1: And That's what we, we've talked about every single time we get on this podcast. Is like what makes this so fun and so great is like you just never know. The more um, you and, know,
0: the less you know, actually. Yeah,
1: I, and it's like I, I've always said this in terms of just fishing in general, and it's not always true. But like it almost seems like the more you know, the less you get rewarded. Like yeah. I could, I could, you know, the theory I'm looking at here. And like I said, there's no science behind this. Is I could close my eyes and pick five fantasy players in normal fantasy fishing, and I might have as good of a chance as if I really studied every single day that that person spent on that body of water and, and fishery is similar. And like, I, like you said, just using your, uh, your intellect as an angler, like, you know, how things compare and stuff, but uh, yeah, sometimes like knowing knowing that much hurts you, I guess, if that makes sense.
0: Well, we're, we're sitting here thinking it's easy to be, no offense, Kirk Kirk Street. I don't know why I said that. He's not watching this, but Kirk Kirk Street can look at a college football game and say, Alabama, Ohio state, who's going to win? And he tells you who's going to win. Then he's correct. And, He's so smart. It's two teams matching up against each other. You got 50% odds of getting that right. Our t- our team's footballs are swimming around – on a vast fishery where another football team can come in and scoop up the ball. Just imagine that if Kyle Jesse threw a pass to Ronnie Moore and against a specific team, and we got some random player from another team coming in and intercepting the pass, that is professional bass fishing. You've got an angler who could be on the winning fish and get a bad boat draw. And he's sharing the water with someone else. He could not be on anything and randomly catch an eight pounder and look like he knows what he's doing that given week. There's so many variables Your angler could be making a hundred mile run. How about Chris Zaldane gets beat to the area that Brock Mosley was fishing. He went to Houston, got beat there and ended up fishing behind the day one leader. And he had six pounds and change and went back there, had six pounds and change. And we never talked about him again, except for right now, but he was, he was trying to scoop up a fumble after the defensive lineman already scooped up the fumble. The, it was already there. There's no more bass there. So There's so many things that you can know exactly what you're talking about in fishing and the day's weather or a breakdown of equipment or another anglers on their stretch right before them and they don't catch them and the best made plans don't work out.
1: Yeah. And that's, uh, that's, what's crazy about this sport. I mean, ultimately they are fishing against each other, but like the reality of it is is like they're out there and like their goal remains the same regardless, like what the other competitors are doing as where, you know, in basketball or in 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 baseball, for say, you know, I'm a baseball guy, so I'm, of course, going to reference baseball. If if I'm a left-handed hitter and everybody, you know, and the defense shifts for me to be a pool hitter, my strategy might change to hitting it the other way. In In bass fishing, your strategy is the same regardless. You have to catch the five biggest bass and bring them in. Now, granted, there are circumstances where what other people are doing plays into what you're doing, uh based on you know the fish in the same areas that kind of thing but ultimately like it's you against the fish for eight hours or however long your day is and then at the end of the day that's when you're stacking results i mean it's not like you're like face to face you know fishing against somebody you know the the thing that comes to my mind is like ledge fishing sometimes that happens when you're literally within sight of somebody or in uh some circumstances in which you know which one I'm talking about your rub rail to rub rail with another boat, <laughs> but, uh, but so, yeah, I mean,
0: I I used to do it in intramural softball in college. I used to look at that girl out in right field and I'd be like, you know what? She ain't going to catch this. So I'm going to swing late. So it goes to right field. I understand that, you know, you can't, you can't predict that and you can't do that in basketball. and, and somebody has sure. seen it a hundred times somebody has a good population of fish they save them and manage them something changes the next day and then they they don't get a bite and they should have just burned it down right there and caught as much as they could have caught while they were biting so a lot of different factors i, I interrupted and you interrupted your picks a little bit uh i think you gave me two or you said Daryl gleason i think we. Just oh yeah we
1: went one. off Daryl Daryl gleason Okay. Yeah, we went off on a tangent there. I completely forgot what we were doing here.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> so,
1: I, paid programming. I went. I went with uh, Daryl Gleason. Obviously, that was my my second tier of guys. Um, not that we're ranking them in like tiers, but you know, no, like the, the second set. Yeah. Second, yeah. So, on top of that logic, I went with uh, not the Toledo bin logic, but I went with Brad Watley. Uh, I feel like Brad Watley in this tournament is somebody that uh, – Lake of the Pines. Say it again. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That, that was my exact thought. And I've, I've fished both Lake of the Pines and Lake Fork in the same way with Toledo Bend. Um, so that's, that's another reason. I don't just think that this is the case. Like I've, I've fished these places. So, I mean, you know, growing up in central Arkansas, I've fished all three of those places. Fished Fork a bunch, fished, you know, Lake of the Pines a handful of times the last couple of years um brad whatley sets up perfect for this event like perfect um and it's one of those guys too I, I just have a confidence that this event is gonna set up really well for him obviously he's been really consistent uh which a lot of people don't realize but um i just look at the rest of the schedule and i'm just like this event is for brad Watley. and with that exact same logic uh i went with luke palmer so Luke Palmer's had some success on uh, fork in 2019, caught him really good on a frog. Uh, it was a lot of fun to watch. Um, a guy like Luke Palmer that can flip, throw a flog, frog, a flog. I don't know, you know, a flog, like you looking through, yeah. Flogging those fish through mats and vegetation. But um, <laughs> like I said, between flipping, throwing a frog, I think Luke Palmer, that's that's right in his wheelhouse. Um, somebody that we both selected was Hunter Shryock. Um, and I I don't even remember exactly what your logic was because we talked for about 45 minutes there, but, um, but yeah, I mean, such a good bed fisherman ultimately. I mean, he he hadn't had a lot of opportunities to show that, you know, in his time in the elites, but I just remember that run he went on in the opens. Yeah. The same year, um, where John Cox won at Chickamauga. I mean, he finished really well at Chickamauga betting fish, um, What Harris was the, there was, there was another event that, that exact same open schedule um, where, King. you know, Harris Jane. Yep. That's right.
0: Um, in Both of those. Say what? I covered him in both of those. And then we a nice. top three at Douglas later in the year, not spawning fish, but he had three top threes in the opens. And I thought yep. he's going to break through at some point.
1: Yeah, no doubt. And uh, you know, like I said, I think that that sets it up well with his, his, uh, You know, his strengths, um, obviously, think about the amount of tournaments just in his time in the Elite Series that we've seen him factor punching. Um, You know, I I don't know the vegetation set up there right this second, but there's there's definitely shallow vegetation to flip. You know, two things that I think will play, and I think two things that he, uh, you know, basically right in his wheelhouse. That's it? That's it.
0: So, my eight – to revisit, we got Lee Livesey, David Mullins, Jake Whitaker, and John Cox. And then we've got Greg Hackney, Hunter Shrock, Mark Menendez, and Chad Borgan-Taylor. My only asterisk, if John Cox is even fishing the event, I believe he is uh, at this point. Uh, I think he should. So Lake Fork, who wouldn't want to catch 100 pounds? But I also know points are valuable, and every league uh, has their schedule, and we all fish the same weeks for some reason. So, uh, that's there's only
1: so many there. weeks in the year.
0: Is yeah. The problem. I did say one day. I said John Cox is fishing 314 events this year. Someone said, "Bro, that's a lot of events, man. How does he do it?" I'm like, "Bro, there's 52 weeks. Here. How did you think that that was for real? He'd be fishing a tournament every other day. Not even other org- anyway, Other organizations day. are running running Tuesday nighters and everything." Yes. <laughs> We got we got a Tuesday nighter. We're gonna have a Wednesday morning tournament. We're gonna and have a Wednesday night. So, uh well, Kyle, I appreciate you joining me on Cast the Podcast and my YouTube channel for the audio and video versions. Uh that's basically wrap-up of the Sabine. What a crazy event there, Jason Christie take it home the win. We didn't touch on this, we can at another point. Three of the four elites, one in aluminum boats. I don't know what the deal is with that. Uh and I really they they were they were one in aluminum boats that do things the way they're supposed to, Express getting real shallow, Bill Lowen and Christie shallow, and then a Lund a deep V a big old walleye boat out in the middle of the deepest part of Knoxville catching them up. So that's interesting. And uh, I've actually got on my Twitter thread I have the list of boat brands probably gonna get in trouble for some reason, but I listed out uh, each top ten this season what boat brands were represented and how many. And at the end of the year, we'll see. Because this year is kind of wide open. A lot of boat changes. A lot of anglers represent a lot of different brands that aren't normally on the main uh, mainstream of professional fishing. So it's opened the door for a lot of people to jump in. And it's been kind of cool to see how it is. Uh, we've had every aluminum boat brand represented. We've had every fiberglass brand represented, except for one. I'm not going to tell you who that is. You can go look at my lists. I'm not going to call them out. Um, they only have a couple of pros, obviously, on the elites. But... There it is. Sabine recap, Jason Christie winning how Kyle destroyed me in fantasy fishing, but I'm gonna get him back at fork. And then how, uh, mercury drain the lake works. Now you're probably asking, you didn't give us your lake Fork picks for Rappel of Bassmaster fantasy fishing. And we're going to do that, uh, in the next episode of the podcast. And I'm not going to pick the same guys that I picked in drain the lake. So don't just assume, oh, here's your eight guys. He's going to pick five of these eight not the case at all there's gonna be some different strategy involved and we're gonna get back in the we're gonna get back in the game and we're gonna catch Kyle we're gonna pass Kyle and we're gonna dominate just like I planned I doubt that's gonna happen uh but with that being said
1: I'm also the same way as you in the sense that a lot of my fantasy picks are not represented I think I can say pretty confidently one or two maybe are the same uh but aside from that I mean it's a lot of different people and, and and just moving forward to give the the folks something to uh to look forward to, and myself, are we going to start uh, doing the fantasy shows? Like combining the two moving forward, our Drain the Lake and our Rapala picks, and then do a recap? Or how, how do you uh, how do you envision that going moving forward?
0: I think we probably can do a Rappala, uh fantasy picks and our Mercury Drain the Lake picks at the same time in future ones. But because we just debuted this brand new game mode on Sunday night after the Sabine, I figured why don't we just wrap up the Sabine Talk about it, let some people get involved. We're going to drop a link in the description. If you're still watching this point, there's a link in the description about Mercury Drain the Lake where you can click it, set your lineup. And I'll actually show you real quick on my phone. This is how you find it um, on this dang website right here. Not our website, another website popped up. Um, this is how you find it. So you are on your normal rapala Bassmaster master fantasy fishing page and you can see right there kyle's got a great story about it but there's a circle around drain the lake so it's your normal thing my roster i could scroll down and i can set my team and right there you just click drain the lake you'll see the logo change new logo drain the lake and you scroll down view your roster and i'm gonna show you my team and prove that i did not lie Here's my voice.
1: This Likewise,
0: so I'll, cool. I'll I'll prove it as well. If I'm my going can blind all the fans. Blind them. Blind them. <laughs> yeah. Blind them. Those are it. those are our picks. Those are our picks. Oh well, I already told them to you. You don't need to see it. If you're watching this point, we love you. We're friends. It's okay. Uh, Kyle, appreciate you joining me. We will see you in the next one, and we will get this uh, rolling for Lake Fork very soon.
1: Absolutely, man. Looking forward to it, and uh, glad glad to do another one with you.
0: Tell your wife and your doggo, I said, what's up?
1: Will do. See you, bro.
0: See you, man.